I could confirm the word from Jesus through Brooke this morning. Because it is his heart that none be left behind. That is his heart. It is really good to be back. And I was trying to decide in the last few moments, I, you know, especially coming back because I mean, the Lord has given me a very heavy word for this morning. I, I thought, Lord, can I, can I have a joke first? Can, can I have something? Can I have a light story? Can you let me talk about something light first? So I will tell you something light. It was really cool. First of all, this trip was different than any other trip that I've been on. Uh, it seems to be going that way almost every time. I don't know why, but... But this trip, first, we're very busy. Um, it seems like every moment something was happening. And, uh, of course, this was an administrative trip. The, the team building is coming really well. It's looking great. It is really, really cool. <laughs> of course, we are 300% above budget. <laughs> but that's, Lord knew the budget. Um, we just didn't. <laughs> But I am learning what it means to construct in Nigeria. You know, it's very different than here. Here I can tell you how much something will cost a building to build. I can tell you how long it will take, you know, basically without problems. Um, and there I stepped into that not knowing either of those. You know, having a little idea, but... Uh, but um, learning very quickly that God has his hands all over it. Because it really doesn't matter. If God is in it, it really doesn't matter what you can plan, what you think will make you feel better so you can count on it. <laughs> right? Now, see, if he's got it, he's got it. If it's his project, it's his project. And if it's going to take three times more than what we thought, then, you know what, that's not on me. That's on him. And that's right where he wants it to be. So even already, God began providing for that deficit. And in, in, in many ways. But it's just been extraordinary. Now this, this trip um, was very tiring. But there, there are a couple things that I wish I could tell you everything about it, but I can't. Um, there were two things specifically that, that were presented to us that I believe in my heart are going to change the direction of Benway, change the direction of Nigeria itself. Because, because of what God wants to do there. What he wants to do there is, I can't even get my mind wrapped around it. And, you know, I, I keep going back to the thing that the Lord told me years ago, years ago, toward the beginning of this whole thing. He, he told me it begins in Nigeria. You know, I've always assumed 
that that meant revival, right? Well, revival, because, you know, I think in terms of this global revival that the Lord talks about is coming. And, and so, well, revival starts in, in Nigeria, starts in McCurdy, and kept waiting for that and, and thinking about that. And, and what the Lord has shown me, first of all, it's not revival, because revival's already begun. Revival begins in your hearts. Revival has begun in this church, in the hearts of the people in this church. But what is beginning in Nigeria is a facilitation of his will like we've never seen before. I mean, in incredible, incredible ways. And, and one day soon, <laughs> soon, I like that, one day I will be able to tell you those two things. In fact, one day you'll see it. And, and I mean very soon, probably by the next trip. When, when, uh, when we go back in September to prepare for, for the big trip. And hopefully the team buildings will be ready and everything by then. But let me just say, though, that God provides everything you need when you need it. I'll, I'll tell you a cool story. Before we left, Michael and I and Alexis and Yvonne prayed. I think, were we going to the airport when we prayed this? I can't remember where we were, if we were on our way to the airport or what. But but I'm just, I'm driving up, I think it was to the airport, and I'm just like, man, you know what, let's pray for an upgrade. Because I don't know if you've ever seen any pictures that, you know, Michael and I will post that are really kind of a joke. Okay, to see us in one of these regular economy seats, and then the person in front of us, course puts their seat all the way back and it's difficult for us to do that because when we go back it's really bad on the people behind us okay so so if you can picture the back of this person's head is about five inches from michael's nose okay there's no room anywhere else and michael's trying to sleep right it's, it's like one of those things right so, so, and that's just normal. That's just normal. I keep telling the Lord, okay, I'm paying my dues. I'm paying my dues, paying my dues, right? So we, we decide to pray, Lord, give us an upgrade. Just please, Lord, we just need an upgrade. Your will be done, but you said to ask. So give us an upgrade, Father. And when we were done, Yvonne pops up and she says, hey, look at the clock. And the clock was 3.33. I thought, oh, that's cool. That's a confirmation. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. And I didn't think another thing about it. Although I fully expected the upgrade. Okay, so we get to the airport, and, and I said, okay, Michael, let's go ask. Let's go ask for the upgrade. And we went and asked, and they said, yes, that will be $800 for this leg. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, you don't understand. We were looking for a free upgrade. And she said, no, I understand. You don't understand. That will be $800 a piece. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much. We went and sat down. We didn't get our upgrade. The second flight didn't get our upgrade. Honestly, I just forgot about it. I thought, okay, well, you know, Lord wants us to pay more dues. And, and that's okay. I was fine with it. You know, we, we, it's about a 40 hour overall with everything that we do in, in driving and everything else that, 
that we don't get sleep. And, uh, and so I thought, that's fine. So we go and we do our things, you know, in Nigeria, and then we, we go to leave. And, of course, we get up that morning, to give you an idea of our day, we get up that morning, it's about 6.30, and that's after, for me, anyways, that's after about two hours of sleep the night before. Get up about 6, 6.30, and, um, and it, you all know, because I, I, think, I think that was one of the nights I was on the prayer call, right? I think. I can't remember. Anyways. Um, but, so we get up, and we, we go about our day until about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and we're, we're running. We're hustling. There's a lot to do just the last day that we're there because our flight is at 10 p.m. at night, okay, in, in Abuja. So we've got, a, we've got a four and a half, depending on who's driving. That could be a three-hour or a six-hour drive, depending on who's driving. Um, and then we get to Abuja. Then, you know, we settle in, get to the airport, and take off at 10 o'clock. So it's a really busy day, all the entire day, right? We get to Abuja, and we have dinner. Then we get to the airport, get, on, get to the flight, and both of us are just so exhausted. And I wasn't even thinking about even asking about an upgrade, so we didn't. You know, we get on the plane, and poor Michael just, I don't know why. He seems to get the people in front of him that want to lean back. And, and on that flight... I think there was a person in front of me, but they didn't lean back. And so I just felt bad for him, although I wasn't about to switch with him. But I did feel bad for him. So we go on that flight, and that flight leaves at 10 o'clock, arrives about 5 in the morning into Frankfurt, Germany. And we, we're walking, we're just walking like a zombie. And poor Michael, he's now sick. Okay, he, his allergies went through the roof. This trip, and, and I think the lack of sleep probably got a hold, and this cold came on, and he's, he's just miserable. The guy's just miserable. We're walking through. We're, we're there at 5.30. Our flight doesn't take off till 1.30. We had like seven-hour layover. And um, so we, we found a place. We, we got some coffee, got something to eat, and, and found a place that we could just sit. And, you know, he was able to fall asleep. By the time we get to the flight, we're just exhausted. I ain't just exhausted. And so we're sitting there, and they go to load. And, and of course, we've learned there's no reason to get on the plane early. You know, if, if we're the last people on the plane, great. No problem. It, we just, it, it's easier than sitting there on the plane. So we're, we're one of the last. We're maybe, there might be ten people behind us. And we go in Frankfurt. They have, everything's automated. Uh, you know, when you go through the gate, you show your ticket. Well, there, there's no person there. It's, it's just automated. You put it, you, you show it on the screen, and then it lets, opens the doors, lets you in. So I get up there, and I show it, and it beeps, and nothing happens. And I thought, oh, great, this is great. Put it on again, beep, nothing happens. I look over at the lady. I said, it won't let me in. She said, you need to grab the ticket. I said, I have my ticket. She said, no, the piece of paper at the bottom. And I look down, and there's this little piece of paper sticking out. I go, and I pull it out, and it opens the door. And I said, what, what is this? She said, she said, you were electronically changed in your seat. And I said, oh, you're kidding me. And so I walk through, and I look at Michael. Michael gets the same thing. And I thought, 
I thought, okay, if, if we're having to sit apart, okay, that's even worse. Of course, isn't that sad, that thought process? Where, I don't know where my faith went. But so I'm walking down, and I just wanted to make sure we're, we're in the same seat. And I look down and it says 12, row 12. Are you row 12? Yeah, 12 C and D. Okay, good. At least we're together. And then I'm walking down, and I'm thinking, 12. You know what? We are probably just sitting right behind business class, and we're going to have to watch them the whole time, get their nice meal and everything else. And, and, and so I, I, this horrible attitude, <laughs> and it wasn't, I wasn't quite that bad, but, but we were joking like that. And I'm walking down, and I look at it again. The Lord tells me, look closer. I look at it again, and it says, business class. I thought, oh, wait a second. This better not be a joke. This better not be a joke. And I said, look, Michael, what's your say? It says business class. And I thought, okay. I thought, okay. Let's hold our breath a second until we get on the plane and make sure this is right. Okay, we get in there, and sure enough, it's business class. And I've never ridden business class before, especially on an international flight. Do you know they are full beds? They are fully reclining flat beds. And, and it's, it's like one of those mattresses that you press the button and it'll go, you know, all over the place. You can press a button and it lays out into a full bed. You have, for, for a plane, you have a big screen TV right in front of you, your own TV right in front of you. Every, every seat has its own TV, but in the back they're like little, like in the back of a van, on the back of a seat. You know, but these, these are about like this. And you have, the headphones aren't these little headphones you hand out. These are noise-canceling headphones. Man, I wanted to take them with me. But you put them on, you literally don't hear anything. In fact, when the stewardess walks up, you have to take them off so you hear what she's saying. Because it, it, just, it just cancels out everything. They give you, it's not one of those little pillows. It's a big, full pillow. It's not a little blanket. It's a big, full blanket. So, so I thought, this is awesome. And the food. I had salmon. It was awesome. So, so now I found myself in a dilemma. Because, see, I'd never flown business class before. But I was tired. And I could sleep. I could lay it out and just fall asleep. And that's what Michael did. He was probably the smart one. I thought, I thought no, I, I, I'll sleep for just a little bit. i got to enjoy this. Okay, so, so the purpose the Lord gave it to me for, unfortunately, I didn't take advantage of it, but I enjoyed the trip. I did get two hours of sleep, which is more than I get on those, those flights. But then Michael reminded me of something. See, I'm just thinking, oh, this is so awesome. He said, no, this is an answer to prayer. He said, this is exactly what we prayed for. I said, we did? I didn't remember. And he said, yeah, don't you remember when we were going to the airport? We prayed for an upgrade, and Yvonne saw a confirmation of 333. Oh, that's right. Wow, what happened to my faith? What happened to my thought process when it didn't happen when I wanted it to, when I expected it to, but instead it happened when I needed it to? See, God knew Michael would need that sleep. God knew that I would need a little sleep and then watch movies <laughs> and have salmon. No, he, he knew when we would need it. And poor Michael, oh my goodness. 
he he was flying from Philly when we got into Philly. He was going from there to North Carolina to go to a family reunion. His flight, it, it, we get in at 3.30. His flight leaves at 9. It was delayed, 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 canceled. They get him a hotel. He can't leave till 4 o'clock the next day, p.m. P.m. They literally had to change his flight from going to Raleigh to going to the beach because his family would already be gone from Raleigh. And luckily they did that. Or Actually, I didn't even ask him. I don't know if he did it or they did it. But God knew that we would need this. He knew. He also knew Michael would need that hotel because Michael was able to just go there and sleep, get a late checkout, and just sleep. He was able to do that. See, God knows what we need, even though we don't know what we need. He knows when we need it, and He's prepared to do it when we live a life that is given fully to Him. Now this, this trip, Lord revealed a lot of things about what he's doing there, but about what he's doing here. And I want to tell you, many of you have been sifted, and you came through, and you're on fire, and you won't be stopped. But many are being sifted right now. And you're being sifted in ways that you don't recognize. See, these are the times where you cling to the Lord. Because it all goes back to your original heart's desire for Him. When your heart's desire is for Him, He will give you opportunity. He will not force it on you. He will not make you decide something because the choice will always be yours. And sometimes those choices are subtle. Sometimes they don't make sense in the natural. This is the example God brings to my mind, so I'm going to say it. I've used Michael as an example this morning. I'll use him another time. See, when, God gave, when Michael gave his heart to God, he said, no matter what. He said, no matter what, I will serve you. So the very thing that came up, the first choice he had to make was, is he going to trust God or is he going to try to preserve his own marriage? And he's told you this testimony himself, so I'm not revealing anything different. But he said, I choose you, Lord. I don't choose anything else. It doesn't matter what else happens to me. It doesn't matter what else you do. I choose you. I want to be with you, period. So Jesus said, okay. Then step like you mean it. That's when Michael stepped. And he lovingly told his wife, the Lord is calling me to ignition. I want you to be there. 
God wants you to be there. But it's your choice. Because I am not staying here. The initial reaction was very difficult. Remember, at this time, Ali did not know the Lord. And the warfare of fighting for her commenced so heavy in Michael's life. But it didn't stop what he was to do. It was only days later that she said, okay, I'll go. I'm not sure he expected that. He was thrilled. So fast forward. Okay, Allie gets saved. Allie's moving to Nigeria. We have a great God. See, we have a great God because Michael stepped in his will regardless of the peripheral. Regardless of what was going on around him, regardless of what the enemy threw in front of him to say, this is in your way, that's in your way, this can't happen. You're supposed to care about this here, so God wouldn't make you. You don't think he would? I'm here to tell you, yes, he does. Not that God ever wanted to break up that marriage. But God knew by Michael stepping in his will, it would bring Allie to a knowledge of him. It would bring Allie to a place of trust that she had never experienced before in her life. That came because Michael said yes, and he stepped in his yes. See, we can all say yes, but are you willing to step in your yes? I'm telling you, there are people here that are not. And it's difficult. It's difficult because you're the only one who could choose. I want to read something to you. Bren sent me this this morning. We were talking about it last night with Alexa and I and and uh, Brennan and Jeff. And she just sent me this this morning and she said, this is exactly what we're talking about. It's a quote from C.S. Lewis. The terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes and precautions, to Christ. But it is far easier than what we are all trying to do instead. For what we are trying to do is to remain in what we call ourselves. See, how many times have you heard, well, this is just how God made me. I can't do that because God didn't build me that way. God didn't make me that way. First of all, stop lying to yourself. Because it's not how God made you. First of all, God made you perfect. Right? It's the fallen flesh that has taken away from that. God does not put a calling on your life that he does not give you the equipping to do it. 
But there are things that steal from that. Fear will steal from that. Being afraid of stepping, being afraid of, well, Lord, I don't even know if this is you telling me. Yes, you do. Yes, you do know that's the Lord. You're afraid of what it actually means if it is. Don't be afraid. See, see, the Lord never expected you to be perfect. He expected you to step and to learn and to trust. And see, we have had a season here at Ignition where you can learn in safety. You could learn to trust in that place where you're covered. But for this stage, that is coming to an end. And see, there are some here, as the Lord told me two weeks ago when I gave that word, there are some here that are putting themselves in danger by moving forward with ignition without stepping in the Father's will. Please understand, it's not my desire that anybody do that. It is not my desire that anybody leave It is not my desire of any of that, but I'm here to tell you, and this is what the Lord laid so heavy on my heart this week. If you're struggling with being here, it's time to leave. It's time to go. The Lord doesn't want that. But if you cannot get rid of the voices that tell you you're not good enough, or that your identity is something is in something specific and it's not happening, then you cannot get beyond what the enemy is trying to do in sifting you. It's not what he wants. It's not what I want. But I'm here to tell you what is about to happen. Unless you're 100% sold out to God, you're going to be collateral damage. And nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. You don't want that. So I feel God's heart. I feel He is just begging you to give everything to Him. What, What does that even mean? What does that mean to give everything to Him? It means understanding that you do not know everything. That you do not know what God is trying to do in a new thing. How can we? So if you step in the knowledge of your past or the knowledge of your history, you are stepping in a wrong lane. God cannot do a new thing. When you do not believe that a new thing can exist. You know, I was talking to Bryn when we, the four of us were talking yesterday, and, and it, it's so wild because I didn't think anybody had this thought but me. But for, for the last few years, I, I talked to the Lord, and I just feel this impression on me. 
that he's just been waiting for somebody to believe. He's just been waiting for somebody to, to trust him beyond their measure. And not just a single person, because he told us at the beginning of this that this cannot be done. What he wants to do with his bride cannot be done with a single person. It has to be done with a group. It has to be done with an army that rises up. But I'm convinced. He's just been waiting for people to really believe Believe in the things that they've not seen. And believe that he actually wants and has chosen them to do it. See, that's the hard part. That's the hard part because we fight these feelings of inadequacy, insecurity, things where we don't belong, we don't, Whatever. See, we fight these feelings. Who do you think those feelings are from? Do you think they're from God? No, see, in God, we can know who we are. In God, I know who I am. I may not be anything in this world, and I'm not. But in God, I'm everything. I'm His child. There was a shift that happened for me this trip, unlike any shift that I've ever experienced. Can't even put words into what it means. I'm not even sure myself what it means. But I know it's about boldness. I know it's about authority. And I know it's because it's time. See, it's time right now. Don't miss this, guys. It's time. It's time right now. It's time for the choices. He's going to move forward. And he wants everybody in here to be a part of that and be a part of leadership in that. Now, by the way, I'm here to tell you, when things happen, you'll all be a part of it. And so will the hundreds and thousands of people that we have known for years that now think, well, that we're whacked. They'll be a part of it too. But see, that's not the opportunity God is giving you right now. The opportunity is for you to be a clean vessel with Him, to be used by Him in this effort. That's what he wants. But you've got to get past yourself. You've got to get past yourself in this. Because if you don't, it's only going to hurt you. See, we're kind of like the children of Israel. When they came out of Egypt, they saw the miracles that God did. They saw his heart. They saw his love. They got to experience his protection. But then they got to the very land that was promised to them. 
And they couldn't bring themselves to trust for something they had never known before. See, they had this mentality of slavery. 400 years of slavery in their ancestry in Egypt. That kept kept hold of them and they couldn't get beyond it. See, we can build paradigms up in our minds that we cannot get beyond. And it is all regarding this slavery to sin. Slavery to not even trusting God. See, a slavery mentality is what will hold us down even when we're no longer slaves. When you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, guess what? You were no longer a slave. But yet by choice, some of us stay there. We stay there because that's what's familiar. We stay there because, wait, this isn't how we think it's supposed to go. How do you think it was for Peter? Lord, I will not deny you. I will will die with you, he even proclaimed. And literally moments later, he denied his Lord. Now God used that to solidify who he was in Peter's life. But you know what? We have those examples. We have the word of God. We have Christ's life on this earth that he did not have except to travel with him for those three plus years. That's why he said, know the scriptures. Let them become a part of you because they will change your life. They will direct your paths. But you've got to let it. That means stepping when he says step. That means when something goes differently than what you expect it to, can't react to that. You have to say, Lord, what, what am I to learn here? What, what am I to know here? What do you need me to do? And remember, he is faithful that when you ask, he will tell you. He will show you. But when he does, you have to deal with it. I want you to turn to Joshua 24. Show me this this morning. And I'm just going to read this, make a couple of comments, and then Alexis, I want you to come up. Because the Lord told me to have you say something about 1 Corinthians 10. Does that make sense? Okay. Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. And I'm reading, by the way, in the NLT in this. Sorry. I know normally I do this. ESV. I'm thinking SUV. Okay. Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel. This is, by the way, the setting of this. This is after they already conquered most of the land. Okay, and divided up the land and all that. This is, this is toward the end. This is after that. Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. 
including their elders, leaders, judges, judges, and officers. So they came and presented themselves to God. Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. But I took your ancestor, Abraham, from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him into the land of Canaan. I gave him many descendants through his son Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir, while Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I brought the terrible plagues on Egypt, and afterward I brought you out as a free people, no longer slaves." But when your ancestors arrived at the Red Sea, the Egyptians chased after you with chariots and charioteers. When your ancestors cried out to the Lord, I put darkness between you and the Egyptians. I brought the sea crashing down on the Egyptians, drowning them. With your very own eyes, you saw what I did. Then you lived in the wilderness for many years. And it was because of their choice. Finally, I brought you into the land of the Amorites on the east side of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I destroyed them before you. I gave you victory over them, and you took possession of their land. Then Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, started a war against Israel. He summoned Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to him. Instead, I made Balaam bless you, and so I rescued you. From Balak. When you crossed the Jordan River and came to Jericho, the men of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I gave you victory over them, and I sent terror ahead of you to drive out the two kings of the Amorites. It was not your swords or your bows. That brought you victory. I gave you land you had not worked on. I gave you towns you did not build. The towns were where you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food. Though you did not plant them. So fear the Lord. And serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols of your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, I just want to say, who is it that you want to serve? See, because we don't choose who we serve by just giving our yes. We choose by giving our yes and then stepping in faith. That yes. It's a tough road.
it's a glorious road. I can only tell you from personal experience. See, you can look and, and from an outside perspective say that there's been so much loss in my life. And I see nothing but gain. I see a relationship with my Lord that I never even thought was possible. Never even thought existed. See, I never have to be lonely. Why? Because he's always there. And when he's silent to me, he's only silent to me about things that he, he is teaching me. He's never silent about, like, like God, where are you? He's, he's never gone completely like that. No, when I talk to him, he talks. When I reach out to him, he reaches. When I step toward him, he steps. He's there every moment of every day of every night. He is there. So the choice is not loss. The choice is gain. But there's a cost. The cost is you. Or what you think is yours. I gotta be true to me. Why? Why do you have to be true to you? You were born in sin. Why would you even choose to be true to you? Be true to the Creator that created you. Because guess what? He could transform you into what He intended in the first place. And that transformation comes with relationship with Him and relationship with others. I can tell you in 30 years of marriage, Alexis and I have never been as close as we are now. And we, we've been close. We've been, she's been my best friend for 30 years. It's nothing like it is now. Because see, when this relationship is sweet, it makes these relationships sweeter. So I want to encourage you. This time of sifting that some of you are in, say yes and step in that yes. Trust him, even though it may be difficult to do that. Come on up, Alexis. downstairs to the ladies class um, my heart is so full of what God has revealed and what he's done and um, I just want to say on the heels of the sifting don't think about the sifting just wake up every day and continue to genuinely choose God and you've heard that before so sometimes some of these repetitive philosophies and things principles that are preached, you may think, well, I do that. But the question is, is God considered before even the simplest things? There, It's interesting, there are some things, and he just said it so well um, a few minutes ago, there are some things we won't even ask the Lord and then 
believe that he's actually saying to us because the reality of whether that's actually him saying it means that we make ourselves responsible to what he's charging us to do. Like, there are people that won't pray about whether God wants them to go to Africa. They just feel like, well, no, my sensibilities and my desire isn't there, so God just isn't leading me. They come to the conclusion that God isn't leading them instead of saying, God, do you want me to do this? Because they really don't want the answer. And I've been there. I know that. I, I've, I remember I did that from everything from certain ministry things to sacrifices to tithing. I, didn't, I did not want the Lord to convict me to speak to me about my money. Because I just kind of already knew that I can't afford anything. So I, I'm just going to... It wasn't even conscious. It was like I'm just deciding that you know I don't have extra money, so that's kind of not my issue. God knows I can't tithe. And we make these assumptions about God and who he is, and we end up becoming very deceived. So this is what I wanted to show you in 1 Corinthians, um, and the, the lady's got a little bit of it, but it was just something that really hit me hard this morning. And if you want to look at it with me, actually, 1 Corinthians 10 is Paul talking about idolatry. And it's interesting because it's exactly, it talks about the the example Paul is giving is about the children of Israel. And he's saying, he's saying in verse 10, and again, I'm in the New Living, there are updates to the New Living, so if you have New Living, your wording still may be different. But he says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, what happened to our ancestors. This is from the beginning of the chapter. In the wilderness long ago, God guided all of them by sending a cloud and moved along ahead of them, and he brought them all safely through the waters of the sea on dry ground. As followers of Moses, they were all baptized in the cloud and the sea, and all of them drank the same miraculous food, and all of them drank the same miraculous water. For they all drank from the same miraculous rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet, after all this, God was not pleased with most of them, and he destroyed them in the wilderness. These events, verse 6, happened as a warning to us, that we would not crave the evil things as they did, or worship idols as some of them did. For the scriptures say, the, num- the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged themselves in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. And that story is in Numbers. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did, for that is why God sent an angel of death to destroy them. All these events happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the time when this age is drawing to a close. In verse 12, I often quote it from the King James, but it's, If you think you are standing strong, be careful. You too may fall into the same sin. But remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experienced. And God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out. So you will not, be, you will not have to give in to it. So, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. You are reasonable people, Paul says. Decide for yourselves if what I am about to say is true. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the benefits of the blood of of Christ? And when we break the loaf of bread, aren't we sharing in the benefits of the body of Christ? 
And we all eat from one loaf, showing that we are one body. And think about the nation of Israel. All who eat sacrifices are united by that act. So then he says, what am I trying to say? Am I saying that the idols to whom the pagans bring sacrifices are real gods? And that these sacrifices are of some value? No, not at all. What I am saying is that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want any of you to be partners with demons. Verse 21 is really the key verse here. And it hit me really hard. He said, you cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils or demons. You cannot eat from the Lord's table and the table of demons too. Do you dare rouse the Lord's jealousy as Israel did? Do you think we are stronger than he? When we dabble in our focus, in things that seem innocent, the danger is that God, Paulus is reminding the church at Corinth that you are actually, it's like, it's like letting an authority be swallowed into your life that can just be toxic to everything that you're doing. It's, it's very, very dangerous. What you focus on, both in Deuteronomy and Jeremiah, says what we, what we fix our gaze on, what we, be, what we focus on, and what we ultimately worship with our attention is what we become. And we know, we know that, that the New Testament tells us that when you sow something, don't kid yourself. Don't be deceived. You'll reap whatever you sow. And that's why all through the New Testament, Jesus was trying to get them to see, have a single eye. When Jesus was, was preaching, he'd say, be single-eyed for what the Father wants. Yes. Because it, Paul was trying to remind them that, you know, it's not, a, it's not about thinking that these gods, well, it's not like they're real or anything. He, said, he says, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that when you focus on that, you are, the, the focus of that is offered in its origin and in its direction and in, in, in its premise to, to Satan and his kingdom. So what are we to do? We know what Ignition is founded on. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things are added. And I, the other sentence that I, I could just hear the Holy Spirit coming out of Greg's mouth that he said is that we work so hard. And I'm saying it. I'm totally messing it up because it was better said by him. But, you know, sometimes we focus so much on the things that we need when the easier focus is on God and letting him fix what we need. It, it, it just was Matthew 6.33 all over the place. And, and money is a good example there is so much stress in our lives centered around the need for money. Do we not know that the Lord knows that we have need of these things? Have you read the verses before verse 33 of Matthew 6? When he's saying, look, don't, don't take a thought for your life, what you eat, what you drink. Meaning, don't worry. He didn't say don't steward it. He just meant don't consume yourself, mess up and... and Get your priorities out of whack by serving in your schedule and worshiping everything that will surround what it takes to consume the things that I will provide for you. I will give you a job. Jesus had a job. He was a carpenter. But never once does that become any kind of issue. In fact, it was actually insignificant. 
Why? Because it was the thing, the thing of this world. He was there to do the will of the Father. Now, it doesn't mean that your job isn't significant in how God wants to use it. But God's saying, place everything of your realm, your human realm, place it in my hands. I will give you jobs to steward. I will give you money to steward. I will give you relationships. I will give you even some material possessions to steward. But if it's not in my hands, it will consume you and allow an authority to to be drank into your life that will give demons a chance to take over your mind, your body, your lives. And this is why that single eye for Jesus is so important. And boy, I tell you, after stories and stories, we could tell you, Trying to, even if, as we look at sometimes the, the paradigm of, of a weariness in our prayer life. Have you ever just felt weary praying because what, what God showed you is that you were, you were begging God to get on the same page as the desires that you want. Rather than going to God and saying, God, what do you want? It was like, God, help me with this. You know, please give me this. Do this. I need help with this. And it doesn't mean we don't go to him for our needs. But it's almost like, God, this is what I want. Will you please cooperate? And that's an exhausting approach to prayer, which is why a lot of people don't pray. Instead, God, what's the model of the prayer? Not my will, but thine be done. Our Father, who, by the way, is art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We worship you first. Your kingdom, which is the entire kingdom of knowing all things everywhere, come. Your will be done here on this earth as it is in heaven because it's already been planned. So in light of all that, Lord, give us this day our daily bread because I can't take in more than today. I need it daily. I need that bread of life daily. And then, of course, Forgive me my sins. Help me to forgive others as you have forgiven me. And then acknowledging him. He's for thine. All, of, all that's yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And going back to worship again. Acknowledging that everything, everything is about you. Everything that exists consists of you. And the easiest approach um, that we can have is by that single focus. And all God is saying today is, look, don't fear, don't worry, don't try to evaluate, well, am I being sifted? How am I being sifted? What does sifting look like? What is sifting? It's basically what the Father spoke the same week that Greg gave his word when the Father came and manifested, and he said, the enemy is going to seek around, is going to prowl around. He's going to prowl with a strategy that will be allowed by me but don't worry, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. Yeah. But he will be allowed to do that. And the father didn't use the word, but Greg said it today. It's for the purpose of sifting. Why? To reveal the true nature of your heart. See, I know for me, I didn't want duplicity in my heart for God. But the real truth is, a lot of times, back before God took me to next levels of totally surrender. I remember there were times that I prayed to him. I cried out to him, Lord, I want you. I want this. I desire this. And God's like, okay, let me take you through the process to show you what that really looks like. And then every step of the way will we'll show the reality of your heart. And there were times when it was a struggle to keep that. 
It's like if you came to me and said, this is my goal. I want to get in shape and lose weight. Okay, trust me. I'm going to take you on a journey to reach that goal. How many people in the middle of that journey go, whoa, this is not what I thought it was going to be. But it's because they take their eye off the goal. They take their eye off of what they purposed in their heart. So God reveals that to us. But man, when you, when we fix it, I asked the question downstairs to the ladies, who is God to you? I loved the answers. He's my creator, my savior, my Lord, my friend. And I know for me, I answered, he's my love. And I need, I need that everyday filling of his love. Because guess what? When you are filled and rooted and grounded, as Ephesians 3 talks about, rooted and grounded in love and all the fullness of God, you just don't even think about what you're sacrificing. In fact, you, you just can't get rid of what you're supposed to get rid of fast enough because it just pales in comparison to what God offers. Amen. There's just not a contest. What of this world? When God opens your eyes and shows you the real reality, what are we holding on to? The things, uh, John prayed it and sang it, the one time on the prayer call that just touched my heart so much, that was absolutely the spirit. The song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Yeah. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth, when you're fixed on his face, the things of this earth are going to grow strangely dim yes. in the light of his glory and grace. Yeah. Strangely dim, which means it's going to be odd to you that, wow, I really cared about this. I really thought my job was everything. But now I see that my job is a gift from God, is a wonderful ministry, and it ought never, ever replace God himself. You don't receive a gift from God, and now that gift is too important to spend time with God. Sometimes the very things God gives us, Satan whispers and uses that very gift to pull us back away from God. He does that in relationships. He does that with material possessions. He does that with all kinds of things. God gave us beautiful emotions. Satan takes our emotions to pull us away from God. So let the things of this earth go strangely dim. And if you're doing that every day, you won't notice the sifting because you'll be on the right side. You'll be beautifully growing. And the sifting will just be a, a quicker way to get rid of the stuff that you don't, wanna, you don't need to have anymore. God is good. He is good. And if it's hard, if it's hard for you to choose him, to serve him, to seek him, then ask him, say, God, what am I not yet seeing about how awesome you are that's making this so hard? Because when you are really fixed on him, nothing is not, there's no comparison. There's no comparison. Rest assured, every time I'm wrestling, it's because there's a deficiency in what God is Revealing to me what he's saying to me, what I'm believing about who I am. And I would challenge you to go to Psalm 139. Just soak that in for a bit. Soak in how much he loves you, the books he's written over your life, what he wants to do. He loves you, and his mercy does last forever. He's gracious, full of, full of mercy. But he's presenting an opportunity, like Greg said this morning, to us. And i got to tell you, I don't want anything of God is great. But the fact that he's offering me his best for me, I kind of want it, right? Don't you want it? I mean, I'll take any part of God. But the fact that he's 
offering me the absolute best that, that I could walk into, why would I not take that gift? And that's, what, that's where we are. That's where we are. We're, we're on a fast-moving train. And um, by the way, don't, don't listen to that through your intellect. Listen to that through your spirit. Because yes. you kind of look around going, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? By the time your intellect figures it out, it'll be a whole new world, and you, you won't even know what you missed. Ask God, say, open my spirit eyes. Because in the spirit, we are moving at light speed. Yes. And, um, and he'll show you. I, I, I literally get a physical, like almost feeling of faint when I, when I fully, my spirit eyes are fully aware of what God's doing in the train that's moving so fast. So I just, I'm so thankful God, for God, what God is doing. And um, I just pray that you'll choose it. Are you going to pray or do you want me to pray? Father God, thank you. Thank you, God, for who you are.